0: All right, we've been in uh, the Sermon of the Mount now for about ten weeks. We have three weeks left left of this sermon, and I've been asking this question a lot as I've been sitting down and meeting with you guys. We've been talking after service, i have been engaging uh, around around town with different people that I know that have been around. I've just been asking one question: I said, man, how's this series been treating you? Like, are you experiencing any type of conviction? And honestly, almost every single person I've talked to has experienced some level of conviction over the last 10 weeks, right? Like, this, this text demands a significant amount of conviction. If not, you might not have a pulse, right? That or you just don't listen or something else is happening during your 45 minutes to hour and a half that we have here on a Sunday. This text has been heavily convicting for us. And then I always followed up with a second question. I say, well, have you experienced any change? So so, I say, man, have you experienced conviction? Yes. Okay, have you experienced any change? Less yeses. Like, like less like, yeah, no, I've, I've been convicted. This has been hard. I know there's something else, but I've done nothing about it. So no, I mean, so not everybody. Some of you are like, man, you've experienced all sorts of change. It's crazy, and that's fantastic. But really, I wonder, why, why is it there's this conviction that we would say comes from the Holy Spirit... And yet there's no change. There's no response. There's, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no I'm just going to let that kind of just sit on me and weigh on me, and that's enough, and that is never opportune for us. That, that never is a fitting response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and yet I fear that is just something that we fall into over and over and over again. And today, man, the last, listen, the last three weeks of this, of this series are the heaviest weeks we're going to get into, like, like The way that Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount is, is this calling to say, hey, I didn't just tell you all of this for the fun of it. I, I didn't just tell you all this because I think it's a good idea. He's saying, I'm telling you because this is the way the church is supposed to act. This is the way Christians who love me are supposed to act and give their life away for the sake of others. And if you don't, if this is not something you care about, maybe you don't know me or love me. And if you don't know me, you won't be with me. These are scary things he's going to get into over the next few weeks. It starts today, but we're going to, on the front end, we have verse 12, right? And, and verse 12, this golden rule idea, maybe, uh, is the most famous verse in the Bible in the history of the world. Now, now many people don't even realize it's a verse. I've talked to so many people that say, oh, yeah, the golden rule. I said, well, where does that come from? I, I don't know, some philosopher. I said, yeah, Jesus, right? Like, like that's the Bible, so, you know, John 3:16 maybe is like the, the most popular verse per se. But this concept, this idea, hey, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Like this concept is global, right? We, we, it just kind of fell out of John's, ma- ma- John's mouth right now. Like it's just, we know like, we're supposed to kind of treat others the way we'd like to. I'm not sure, oh yeah, that's, that's scripture. And so this, this, this idea is not a new idea this morning. But I think just like the first 10 weeks of this series, there's been a lot of conviction by it, but not a lot of change. In other words, I I think with verse 12, I think with the golden rule, there's a whole lot of, yeah, that sounds good, and and, yeah, I I think I should live that way, but not a whole like a lot of I'm living out this thing. There's not a lot of, hey, as I walk through my day, as I navigate living with roommates, with my spouse, having children, engaging at work, with coworkers I don't like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a lot of this. It's usually, I will treat others as I want them to be treated, right? It's, I, I want to treat them that way, and so that's what I'm going to do. Instead of this constant introspection of, what, what are my expectations for the way you talk to me? And I'm supposed to extend that to everyone around me. Not to be selective, right? So, listen, we're gonna, it, it is all-encompassing. There is no one who does not fall underneath this banner. No matter how much you think they're your enemy, how much you hate them, how wrong you think they are, this reality rings true over and over and over again. What we're going to see is uh, between the the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, and and, and verse 12 is this idea that everything in between verses 517 uh, and this verse this morning is an encapsulation of the law as we should live it today. We've kind of talked about this idea that the Sermon on the Mount gives us kind of the best glimpse of what would be the constitution of the kingdom of God. That if there was a law that was written down and said, this is the way your life, a constitution, if you will, it would be Matthew 5 through 7. And so Matthew five seventeen says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then verse 12 today, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Anytime you get these two bracketed ideas on either side of a larger text, you know everything on the inside of those brackets has to do with explaining exactly that one thought. So the law and the process, the fulfillment, the reality, the constitution of the way you, Christian, and me, right, the way we should live our lives is encapsulated in these three chapters. But do we do it? And here's the idea. I think, I think what Jesus does here with verse 12, and I think it's very helpful for many of us in the room, is he takes all of the details over the last 10 weeks and sums them up into this one thing, right? So for those who you, like, let, make it easier for me. Like, how do I just do this simply? Just live this out. Like, if you just do verse 12, everything else finds its place. So you struggle with anger, right? So he addresses the issue of anger. He addresses the issue of lust and oaths and divorce and and gets into all these things, identity and mission. If you're trying to navigate how do I live my life, just return to verse 12. Treat everyone else the way you'd want to be treated. Engage them at that level. And the rest of this just seems to kind of, I think, work itself out. Now, Now, the context here. Not just in the larger picture of the sermon now, but I think specifically within chapter 7, the things we've covered over the last few weeks. Starting off in chapter 7, this idea, well, do not judge one another, right? Lest you be judged. And this idea is a greater understanding of the familial understanding of what does it mean for God to be ultimate judge and us really to come under as sub-judges, right? Like we do call each other out in our sin, but we are not the one who makes that final judgment, that final case. We don't condemn others. No, we come in and we try and lead towards righteousness, holiness, and goodness. The other day I'm walking through uh, Safeway Buying some stuff for I don't remember what it was for I'm just buying some food or whatever And and it's just funny to me How the Holy Spirit brings about conviction in my life Right? And this whole judge not idea And how the self-righteous in me I can feel well up So we're walking around I'm I'm pushing uh, my son He's in the cart And and if you've seen Finley He's just over two If you don't know who he is And we're pushing through the cart And I open up the frozen food section and i grab a bag of orida extra crispy tater tots okay now if you have not had an orida extra crispy tater tot with Sriracha tomato ketchup you have not lived okay and so i grab it and verity's trying to create kind of a healthier home which i guess is a good idea Um, And so she's like, don't buy this stuff. She gets really angry. And so I try and listen, but oftentimes I fail. And so anyway, we're walking through. I grab the Orida tater tots. I put them in the thing. And not that Finley knows that I'm not supposed to buy tater tots, but I do look at him and say, don't tell mommy, right? His reply was, naughty daddy. (laughs) Naughty! Like that. Like, and he's like yelling, exclaiming, like, Naughty! I was like, whoa, man. First awkward, right? And then, and you know, he says this, and I'm like, dude, I was like, judge not, son. <laughs> judge not. And here's the reality of that moment, right? God, God uses my, my two year old, right? in complete ignorance to remind me of a bigger picture, right? To remind me of a certain culture my wife is trying to create in our home that I was forgetting about in the moment, right? A certain type of culture that I think even Scripture points to that maybe I shouldn't always eat extra crispy or Ida tater tots all the time. Like maybe broccoli is a better option once in my life, right? It is amazing to me how consistent, if we do not turn it off, that the Holy Spirit, that God will bring about conviction in our lives, and every single time we have the opportunity to ignore it or obey it. Now, that story seems silly this morning, but I think as we go through this text today, in something that's so familiar as do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, that I would like for all those little moments of conviction that comes up to not just be left behind— that the first 10 weeks we would stop saying, hey, that really convicts me, but do nothing about it. That we'd start saying, hey, all right, Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're going to speak, and if, you're, if it's going to come from any different direction, I'm going to try and pray. I'm going to try and have ears to hear your conviction and learn and grow and be shaped and molded. I've been doing a lot of study on the early church recently. We're going we're gonna to start uh, the book of Acts uh, in January, and we're going to work through Acts all of next year, okay? And so I've been doing a lot of study kind of on the early church, and, and man, there was this longing. You could just feel it. You see in their eyes this longing, not just to go and spread the gospel, which we need to have. There was this longing to look more like Jesus. Like, the, they, they knew, okay, this is the guy that we, we are to emulate, we are to know. Like, I long to be more like him. And I just wonder how many of us in the room think that on the daily basis. Like, I want to be more like Jesus. I-, I long that my life, my heart, my mind would look like his life, his heart, and his mind. So again, if anything, this is just a push to you to say, man, can we, can we listen in, even though we think we might know this, and realize maybe we don't know it as well as we do, as we think we do, because we don't live it as much as we say it. And so we need to tweak some things, I think. So I'll read verse 12 again. It says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. So I love what Jesus is constantly doing through the Sermon on the Mount. This, this really moment today is a microcosm of the reality that we live in, I think, as we go back and study the Sermon on the Mount. I, I can't tell you how many meetings I've had where I'm sitting down with you, and I'm saying, so we're talking, you know, what do you think of the sermon series? Are you getting conviction? Like, man, I didn't even know it said that. Like, I didn't know it cared that much about what was happening internally. Like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be angry with my brother. Like, I'm mean, like, you did So what I think this moment does is constantly peeling back the letters. This is the heart of the matter for us. Do unto others that you have them do unto you. And I just want to run through kind of some things this morning and make this as practical as possible for us. And say, okay, man, and maybe some engagement would be helpful too. As, as I'm going to ask you to raise your hands at different times. I'm going to ask you to say maybe some amen. I'm going to ask you to just really analyze these things and wonder, man, do I do these or do I not do these? So I think we all would wish that we'd be treated with respect, with love, with dignity, with honor, with trust, with hope, belief in the best, care, on and on and on. Like I think all of us in the room would like... For everyone in here to treat us that way, okay? So, I mean, that, that's, now, again, just a simple first question. Do you treat everyone else all the time that way? Come on. No. Some of you are like, yeah, liar, okay? <laughs> we, just think about it. Like, I, I want to be loved, Right? Like I want that when whenever I say something wrong, that I, someone doesn't just yell at me and take things that I said wrong and just craft this entire vision for who I am. Right? No one wants that. Yet we do that to each other all the time. Like how many of you you look at a Facebook post that's posted, especially over this last very tumultuous season, and say, and you just throw all of this stuff on this person because they wrote one line somewhere. Would you want them to do that for you? No. Well, why do you do it? We long for respect, we long for dating, we long for trust, hope, etc. We long for these things and yet we do not extend them to others. It does not make sense. I think it's because we don't really believe what we say we believe. Okay? Like, it sounds good. Jesus said it. So, like, yeah, I'm all for it. But rubber meets the road, it's, it's significantly more difficult. So, again, um, here, let's do, a, uh, let's do a raise your hand thing. Okay? Let's do a raise your hand thing. So, um, how many people raise your hand? You wish your uh, your spouse or your friend or or someone in your life that's close to you uh, would not forgive you when you hurt them. Right. So how many here wish that your spouse or friends uh, would not scold you for making a mistake, forgetting to pay a bill, perhaps uh, coming home late, etc. Anyone? No. How How many here wish that your that your roommate uh, would give you the cold shoulder? Uh, because you didn't do the weekly chores that week. How many of you want that? Like you want to, see, I see you guys all looking around that live together, and you're like, dang, I just said to you this morning, like we haven't even talked until this very moment, right? You're like, I'm a jerk. Yes, you are. (laughs) How many of you here uh, wish that people would just pick apart every, every word that you say and judge you based on little platitudes? How many people here, raise your hands. Uh, now, this one, maybe I'll switch for it. How many of you here wish that you had friends, colleagues, family members that would encourage you, right? That would say nice things about you, that would call you up, send you text messages, write you letters, give you gifts, things to let you know you're important and special to them, right? Everybody. How often do you do that? How often? So it's not just negative things. It's not just, man, I don't want to. I don't want to be treated this way, so, so I'm not going to treat others that way. Like I don't want to be treated poorly, so I won't treat others poorly. Now that's that's one half of it, but but there, there is a there is an other side to this thing, right? a positive side. I I would long for people to encourage me. Like I I appreciate that. I like to know when I'm treating other people well, and so when I hear that, that's a good thing. But how often do I encourage others? I would long for people to teach me and to shape me and to, and to point me to better things that I don't know about. But how often do you take that opportunity to do that for others? I would long that people would, when they see that I have financial need, that they just overhear something, that they would bless me and potentially help me out with something financially and help with. But how often are we not generous and instead greedy? So it's not just that I don't want to treat people the way I don't want to be treated. It's also I want to treat people the way I want to be treated. I want to give them that which I want to receive. I mean, we could do this all day long and analyze everything of every day and just be like, gosh, man, like, did I, I would never want to treat me that way. I would never want anyone here to talk to me like that. And yet I'm extending, and listen, I'll be just brutally honest. Like, I love my wife to death, but when we fight, I literally get to the end of the fight and just think, like, what was I thinking? Like the things that I say, I'm trying to win an argument, whatever it may be, I don't want her to talk to me that way. Why do I talk to her that way? These things happen over and over and over and over again. And I I hear hear me. Like I'm I'm just personally tired of chalking it up to sin. Like I'm just kind of sick of it. Like, that's kind of the, that's the church answer, right? Like, yeah, but we're all sinful, so we're going to make mistakes. Yes, obviously, that's true. But that cannot be the excuse. And I know too often it is for me. I'm like, ah, dang it, I blew it. I I don't want, hey, I'm I'm a sinner, to just be the excuse for me about why I don't desperately and longly try and live this out. And so I, I, I'm just going to say this, right? Like, a lot of you know me pretty well. And so if I start treating you in any type of way you wouldn't be treated, just say something right away. Like, let's establish a code word right now, right? And, and, and if, if I'm treating you some way you don't like, you just say that word and I'll immediately know, like, I'll analyze. Do I want to talk to me this way? No, I don't. And then I'll fix it. And I'm going to encourage you guys to just kind of do that. Those of you who live together in homes, that might be a fantastic idea. I don't know what that word is. My wife and I do pineapples, so we can't, maybe another fruit would be good. Like, uh, give me a fruit. Apple. Elephant? That's not a fruit. What are we saying here? Pomegranate. Salsa granite? Pomegranate. Pomegranate, sorry. Pomegranate, that makes more sense. Pomegranate's good. There it is. Listen, friends, if you know me, we talk. I'm talking in a way you think I wouldn't want to talk to myself. Just say pomegranate. I'm going to address it. I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm just honestly, like, I'm thinking through this text over the last month. And here's what I do. Like, so when I do sermon prep, I start four weeks out. Okay? So I start looking at the text that I'm going to preach today. I started four weeks ago to look at it and say, man, what does it mean for me to try and live this text out? Because I'm not going to ask you to do it unless I'm trying myself. And so I'll look at it and say, man, what are the pitfalls that I've experienced this month? And it's constantly this reality if I keep doing things and then making excuses for myself. Now, we're going to get to grace in a little bit, and that is fantastic, and that will be the celebratory moment of all of today. But I am tired of myself making excuses of why I don't want to live this type of life in the way that I love every single person around me. And I hope that as the church that says that we have Jesus on our side, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we are now living in a newness of life. The old has gone, the new has come. If we're in that reality, I think we should so say, man, I just want this to be me. I want this to mark my life. I would love if every single person in this room, if they said anything about me, it would be this type of thing. Nothing about my great bowling score, although it was magnificent. (laughs) But that they would say, man, no, that guy, he just treated it everybody, I think, the way he would want to be treated. Because I think what Jesus is doing here is far more than just the average platitude that this world puts on this thing. Like, this is kind of, yeah, just do this. It's nice and it's great. I think Jesus' weight to this thing is really going to become known uh, on the second half of today's sermon and then for the next couple weeks. Because verse 12 by itself is convicting. But verse 12, when attached to verse 13 and 14, which hopefully we're, which we're gonna look at today, will hopefully shape for us a broader picture of how important this thing is. Because it's not just this own little myopic thing, go ahead and do it and don't worry about it. No, no, this is tied to a lot of other realities of your life. So, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, if there was ever, like, so if the golden rule is is like everyone's favorite concept the Bible gives us, potentially verse 13 and 14 is their least favorite, right? And it's interesting to me that they're sandwiched against each other, in Jesus' greatest sermon. That as he's kind of walking around and he's preaching this thing, he comes and he's summarizing everything he said up to that point by saying, do unto others, right? Whatever you would wish done to you, do it to them. And then he comes right away with this type of idea. Right? So so all that, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the hope. And then he comes in with this really harsh reality. And this one is not nearly as loved in our culture. It's not nearly as loved in our church. And I get why. Let me be very clear. This is not a text that I think we should love because it does speak to heavy realities. And By love, I mean like we shouldn't just be excited that this is the way it's gonna be. But we do need to love it in the sense we need to live by it, okay? And so I'm gonna read it one more time. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Okay, so we get two options. Two gates, two roads, two destinations. And so if you're an eye closer, close your eyes. And I just want you to try and picture kind of this reality. Okay, so you're, you're walking along and, uh, and then you're just going along this path. Okay, and, and you see like a Y, right? So there's you can go left or you can go right. And, and so off to the left, right, is it just, it just seems, okay, uh, that off in the distance, it, it's bright. It seems like it's the right direction, okay, but the path to get there is treacherous, right? So, so you see down the road, it, it looks beautiful and glorious. It's where you want to be. Picture waterfalls or whatever imagery. Picture have a soup by, right? So you're, you're going, but the, the way to get there is it's treacherous. It's narrow. It's difficult, and no one's going that direction. And, and then, and then it, it, bear with me, right? You look the other direction, you look to the right, and, and off in the distance, it, it doesn't look nearly as glamorous, right? It, it's dark, it's, it's dingy, it seems not right, but man, the path looks nice, and it looks wide and flat, even potentially downhill for those of us who don't have to hike that much, Right? And everyone's going that direction. Like, like most of the people, just picture people and they're like, they're making the same decision you're making. Do I go left or do I go right? And everyone is going right. And so the question is just which way do you go? Okay. So, so in, in, in that, okay, open your eyes, right? Which way will you go? This text tells us there's two directions. There's a Y. There's a fork in the road. It's two gates by which you enter those things, Enter each direction. There's two roads you walk on. Uh, roads you walk in, and there's two destinations that you'll end up at. Which direction do you go? Now, what this text is telling us again is that most people are going to choose right. Okay, they're going to choose the wide gate, the one that seems more accessible, the one that seems easier. And they're going to get on that road, and it is going to be easier. Like they're going to walk on that road. They're not going to roll any ankles because, again, it's paved and beautiful and it's nice. Maybe there's handrails, okay? Some of you could ride bikes down that thing because, again, it's just really nice. They're going to be with their friends. They're going to be with a lot of people that they know. They're going to look around and, and kind of just, you can tell most people are there. The culture is there. Everyone's like, yeah, this seems to be the best. This seems easy. This seems right. And so most people will go right. It says, the Bible says that less people are going to choose left. Less people are going to walk down this path, are going to go through this gate that is a narrow gate that's tougher to get through and is on a path that is narrow and treacherous, that is difficult. Maybe you'll roll your ankles. Maybe you just won't be able to celebrate you all the time. Maybe you'll have to pick up the people next to you because they can't themselves get through the trail by themselves. Maybe, eventually, right? So, so which, which one will we choose? Now, now, again, I just find this fascinating that Jesus, right after he's coming, he's summarizing all of everything he's just given us. This is the law. Remember, okay, the book ends of this is the way the Christian lives his or her life. And then he gives us this analogy. And he's like, well, which road are you gonna go down? And I'm just gonna ask you guys, which road do you think, okay? Which road do you think is living underneath the banner of Christ and by his law. Rhetorical, right? It's the narrow road. It's the road that seems less traveled. It's the road that seems more difficult. And I just wonder, as I've spent the last four weeks analyzing my life through the lens of this text, and just wonder, okay, amidst these two options, like I would just naturally assume I'm on the left, like I'm naturally going to assume I'm on the narrow, right? But I wrestled with it for four weeks. Okay, not not in a not in a space of like, gosh, God, am, you know, am I okay? Do you still love me? And none of that, but just like, man, if I if I truly looked at my life. Which road do I appear to be on? The reality in the church in America today is that there is a lot, and I can, there's no numbers, there's no percentage, but there are a lot of folks who think they're on one road, but they're actually on the other. Like, like we think, yeah, like this seems right. Like everyone else is here. This life is kind of like it just seems like this fits with our narrative. And so I'll stay. And the hard part of this text, and I can only imagine the hard part of Jesus saying it, was it caused people who really thought they loved him to actually have to analyze and question their own lives and hearts. And we in the church have become very desensitized to that type of action to having an honest triage of who we are and where we're at. I was sitting down talking to a good friend of mine that goes, uh, you know, pastor another church here in Redemption Church down the valley. And we're just talking about, you know, they're going through a big capital campaign because they're doing some, a big building project down in the valley, okay? And so we're just talking through giving and things like that. And we got onto the issue of of tithes and offerings and, you know, things we do every week. One of the things that, that got brought up, I said, you know, What's interesting is we, we asked you guys to give, right, to kind of support the ministry that's here, to give out of obedience, right, to, to, to look at Scripture and then give generously, not just here, but, but in general, outwardly. And one of the things that came up was like, man, if, if, if we're too afraid to preach biblical truth, truth that might cause you to feel uncomfortable— if, if we're too fearful, and this is not, I don't mean just me from the pulpit, I mean we as Christians to each other. If we're too afraid to actually communicate some of these hard truths that cause us to be uncomfortable and to actually wrestle with the realities of our life, all that I am functionally doing to many of you is I'm asking you to fund your own way to hell. Like, like I'm saying, hey, give here and then I'll just make you feel good about yourself, and then guess what, when you die, who knows? So hear me, none of what I'm saying is that all, hear me please, none of what I'm saying is any desire in my life to, uh, this is not condemnation, this is not I hope this, I hope that, it's I have to read this thing myself, and as I read it this month and tried to ask myself these questions, it made me uncomfortable. Like it made me wrestle with my day-to-day. It made me ask myself, do I actually apply the things that I say I believe in? Do I actually apply what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? And I ask you the same question. Like, like the Bible, in so many moments, is going to just make us feel on cloud nine. Because it communicates God's incredible love and value, and mission to win your life, to win your soul, to restore you to himself, to restore all of creation back to him, to take which was lost and make it his fully, once again, for all time. And it's like, yes! But there are moments where we have to be honest with how difficult some of this stuff is. And so I'm not asking you or telling anyone in this room what road you're on at all. Like, I'm listen, I hope everyone is on this road. This is the good one, the narrow one, right? In case we got confused. This is the good one. But the text seems to point out, like, we can't know. Like, I can't know your story. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. I sit down with a lot of you. I look at your life. We talk about Jesus, and I can assume, and I can know. But you only truly know where you're at. You're you're the one who truly knows if you just come on Sundays because that's what your parents told you to do when they sent you off to college. like You're you're the only one who can know that. You're the only one who can know if when we start saying, and you have to love Jesus, know Jesus, celebrate Jesus, be about Jesus. Uh, You're the only one who can know if you actually believe that, actually do that. I can't know that. And so all I'm saying today is, let us be confident enough in Christ to at least debate our own self and ask the questions. To to, to say, man, okay, if these are the two realities, and as I look around my life, man, I, I do think that on the narrow road, I think it's narrow because a lot of times it squeezes us. Right, that, that it forces us to have to confront a lot of just the, the junk that we decide to carry with us at all times. And I think it squeezes us so that those idols become uncomfortable for us and we have to cast them down. These idols of status and money and comfort and relationships and, and these things that we make more ultimate than Jesus... I think it's narrow because it it just, we got to squeeze in the space, right? In order to do so, we constantly have to be pursuing Christ. And so again, this, please hear me. This is not me saying you're on one road or the other. It's me saying, please figure out which road you're on and use the lens of everything Christ has said over the last three chapters to do so. Like, like, use the lens of, man, d- does any of this mark my life at all? And if it doesn't at all, man, you need to ask a difficult question. I need to ask a difficult question. Otherwise, all we're doing when we just always talk to each other about, man, now you're just doing great, it's no big deal, it's it's just sin. All that stuff. Listen, I'm not trying to. Admit it. Yeah, sin is real, and it makes us make terrible decisions, and that could be true. But I, again, analyze, triage, ask yourself the tough questions, because it's important that you know where you're at. Okay, it's important because we're trying to communicate this message to a rest of a world that's perishing as well, and if we don't preach a solid. Gospel that is full, that talks about Jesus' redemption and reconciliation, but also the reality that, like, that means some things. Like a life that is in love with Christ, that is indwelt by the Spirit, it looks like some stuff. It cares about certain things. And they're not often looking and caring and feeling the way the world looks and cares and feels. And again, we need to wrestle, and we need to be uncomfortable, and then there's good news. So, so hear me, like, this, this is one of my, f- like, favorite moments right now, is because there, there is really good news in the midst of this, okay? So there's a couple verses I want to share with you um, that honestly, like, they're just so good, <laughs> and they remind us of what does it mean for us to know Jesus, that in the midst of this conviction that we have to have that there is a way for us in the midst of this crazy world to be at peace. Okay? To know that as the world offers its story over and over and over that there is a better story. I want to juxtapose these two verses against just this one main idea and I was sharing it with some friends the other day but every time you turn on the television, okay, you're gonna get inundated with commercial after commercial after commercial, right? I mean, it's just filled with all of this, like, hey, like, you want this, right? You see, what they're doing for you is often, if you look at every single commercial you'll ever watch, what they do for you is they craft for you this perfect vision for your life that you didn't even know you wanted, right? And so let's just look at a couple. So Axe Body Spray, right? Okay, so all of a sudden, if I'm a if I'm a man, the vision for my life that I should desire to have is to put on a product, right? And well really the vision is to be surrounded by attractive women at all times. Right? That attractive women would throw themselves out. Like that's the vision that Axe Body Spray tries to craft for you. Men, you should want this for your life. And then they say, here is the product that will get you there. Right? So so this is what we think your life should look like. We buy it hook, line, and sinker, and they say, you want that life? Axe body spray, and then we buy it in droves, okay? Now, you think it's just these real outward things. How about this, okay? Cleaning products. Now, what do they do? Cleaning products. They show you the most beautiful, well-lit home you've ever seen. Okay? The cabinets are perfect. It's got beautiful granite countertops. looks nothing like the terrible stuff we have at my house, right? It looks nothing like the cabinets that we have that have, like, broken wood coming off the side. But it's a beautiful home, and then it paints for you. This is what your home should look like. Sparkling, beautiful, gleaming awesome, filled with light, kids run around, but they don't ever make a mess. I don't know how that happens, right? And so they just craft for you this perfect life, and they say, you want that life? Use pledge. And then we're like, oh my, so we don't even, like, we're constantly being sold, like, this is what your life should look like. Here's the product the world will give you so that you get that life. The Bible does the same thing. It's just not full of trash. It's not a lie. The Bible says, listen, this is the vision for your life. It's been the vision for your life since Genesis chapter 1. And it's included knowing and being part of the family of God. It's included being his son, his daughter, being in his family, grafted in, loved, identified, purified, being his This is a vision for what your life should look like is in communion with him. The rest of the details are all varied depending on where you live, what you do, what your income is, etc. It does not matter. The prime vision for your life is reconciliation and reunion with God. And the product, if we will, and he is far more than that, but the product is Jesus and Jesus alone. It's just him. The Bible crafts for us a vision for our lives. Christian, if you're here, it crafts for us in the last 10 10 weeks, right? In the sermon, it crafts for us a vision for what your life and my life is supposed to be. And then it gives us the product for how we get there. And it is nothing this world can offer. It is only the Spirit of God. So let me read a couple verses. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there was no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's just Christ. He's the only offering to this world. The only true vision. The only true answer. John 10, 7 through 11. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the The gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. He's the road. He's the destination. He is every aspect that we so desire, yet fall for cheap knockoffs in this world. All the things that you so crave and you long for, what's happening is that God has said, this is your vision, but normally throughout your day, you are constantly inundated with story after story after story after story from a different king, from a different world. And so because you hear that story over and over and over, we tend to believe what we hear the most. So that's why it's so important that you be in your word, you be in community that's gonna point you and talk to you about Jesus. You be engaged in prayer. You do these things. Disciplines of the faith, they're, they're not just there because they're there. They're there because they constantly remind us that there is only one vision that is true. And there is only one answer, one product that gets us there. And it's just Jesus over and over every day again. And so the encouragement is, is pretty straightforward today. The application is, is pretty straightforward. It's, it's ask yourself a tough question. Okay, I, I want, no, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, how many great things you've done in your life. Listen, next week we're going to delve into this even farther as people come and say, well, Jesus, I did all these great things in your name. He's like, well, depart from me. I never knew you. Right? So we'll delve into this more. But this week, ask yourself the difficult question, regardless of your past. Just say, no, where am I? It's a good thing for us to ask ourselves, to triage, to go through us, and then apply go and seek to serve and to love and to lay your life down for others as you would have them do for you. But do it all through the lens of Jesus. Like what, what do you believe about him? What has he done? Who is he? What's he doing right now? Not just in your life, in the life of this community, in the life of our world. Like Who who is Jesus? Is he the gate that which you want to walk through? It is only by, through his, by and through his blood that we are saved. But what do we believe about him? As we press into that, we find more, I think, a more robust vision for how we answer that question. I think a lot of this stuff begins to kind of line up. But it's got to start and end with him. It's always got to be about Jesus. I land with sharing you this story. So we were hiking the Appalachian Trail. That was probably like six or seven years ago. Okay, And we're walking along the AT, and we're walking, and we're walking, and walking, and we knew it, where we wanted to go. Like, we had a, a destination. They're like, okay, we need to get here by tonight. Otherwise, we're going to be sleeping outside. And they have these sweet little, like, wooden cabin things you can sleep in. They're fantastic or whatever. And so that's where we were trying to get to. That, that, that was, like, the good destination. Right? And so we're walking on this path, and we knew the name of the trail that connected to this other trail that gets us to our final destination. And so we start walking along. Okay? And then we realize we see a signpost. And it is not the name of the trail that we're supposed to be on to get to our destination. Okay, so all of a sudden, we all, we all look to Schmitty. That's his name. It has nothing to do with the show, right? We all look to our Schmitty and say, dude, you're the navigator. Where are we? And then we pull out the map, and we try and figure it out. Now, in that moment, we're confronted with this reality of, hey, I know this is where I want to go. I'm not on the right trail to get me there. So we have an option to continue to walk on that trail and never get to where we want to be or we find that stinking trail and we go get on that trail and we go to where we want to be. We went with option B. We said, hey, we want to go here. How do we get here? Oh, let's turn around. Let's walk this direction. We take a left here and then we're back going the direction we should go. If you're here, and like, you've just been walking on the wrong path like your whole life. And and, and there's just some signposts that are saying, "Hey, this doesn't seem right. Like, th- th- this seems like a warning sign. Maybe it's even just being here this morning. It's friends that have been taught. There's these signposts like the, the, wrong destination. This is taking the wrong way. You also have that same question this morning. Do you continue to walk down this same trail?" This same path where you know it's not taking you where you want to go. Or you say, dang it, I'm on the wrong trail. And you get off and you find the right one. And and so I want to invite all of us, but specifically if you're here and you're not a Christian, to really ask yourself that question during our reflection time. If you're on the wrong path and the signposts are pointing that out, I want to highly encourage you to get on a different path. And I'm telling you now, the only way to that path is through Christ, through his death on the cross that bought you forgiveness and salvation, new life eternally. That's my hope for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, that Jesus, that you're the good shepherd, you're the gate, you are the way to life, you're the way to truth. Heavenly Father, I know that um, there's plenty in my life that I just, man, I feel like that's not probably how you want me to, to think and to act and to treat people. And Lord, I just confess that I sometimes make bad decisions. But Lord, I know what I believe about you I know what you've done in my life, what you continue to do, what you want to continue to do. I know about your truth. I know that you died for me and for everyone in this room, for everyone in this world, for your whole creation. I know that you rose in the third day and you defeated death, that I could do the same thing and so could everyone in this world. God, I know you've called and created me a new heart and a new life, that I could walk in that and serve you and give you glory and, and hopefully be part of goodness and, and redemption and celebration in this world of your goodness. God, I pray that these realities, God, as you've had me just wrestle with them for a month now, God, that you just have me continue to wrestle and you would call everyone in this room who calls themselves Christian who calls himself Christ follower, who calls you Lord, to just visit this question and be able to wrestle with Jesus and wrestle with, God, where am I and what do you ask of me? And do do I look to these things and say, yes, Lord, that is my life? Or even if not, do I want it to be my life? And God, I just pray for more of that for myself and for everyone here, that we would be a people who long for more of you that long for more of what you've called us to, that do not shy away, but God, run down this narrow path together, picking each other up as we go to be your people, destined for an eternal destination, but celebrated in this world by your goodness as we preach to a world who is headed the wrong way. God, I'm heated now because I just want you to just do something spectacular in our place and in our city and in our world Be glorified, Jesus. Be celebrated, be made much of, and God, convict us, Holy Spirit, to live as you've called us. And Lord, would today be a day of salvation? Would you draw those to yourself and bring them into the family of God who are not currently? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that you have treated us in such a way, Lord, as you would want to be treated. So Lord, will we treat you that way? Will we lay down our lives as you have laid yours down? In Jesus' name.